Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast, a show designed to help you communicate with power and become unstoppable on your path from hidden genius to influential leader. We know you have what it takes to reach your full potential, and that's why each and every week, Johnny and I share with you interviews and strategies to help you transform your life. Unlock your X factor, whether you're in sales, leadership, building client relationships, or looking for love, we got what you need. You shouldn't have to settle for anything less than extraordinary. Before we kick this off, did you know the entire Art of Charm back catalog? That's 15 years of podcasts featuring expert guests and toolbox episodes is available when you subscribe to Stitcher Premium. Sign up today and use code CHARM to get your first month free. That's right. All 15 years, including toolbox episodes, are found on the Stitcher Premium app. All right, Johnny, let's kick off today's episode with James Nestor. James is an author and journalist, and his book, Breathe, The New Science of a Lost Art, was an instant success and listed as one of the best books of 2020 by the Washington Post, Parade, NPR, Amazon, and more. I thoroughly enjoyed the book, and it really changed the way I look at my own breathing. In this book, James explores the million-year-long history of how the human species has lost the ability to breathe properly. That's right. We are not breathing properly, and it's causing a long list of maladies, including snoring, sleep apnea, asthma, autoimmune diseases, and allergies. Can't wait to dig into this one. Welcome to the show, James. James, this book is one of those topics that seems to be in front of everybody, and you decided to, to pick it up. And then, in doing so, it took off. I mean, before I got into reading it and doing my research for this episode, I had realized that I had already had several discussions of the evolution of our face with several people. And it was, it was due to this book coming out and it was the, the first I was hearing a lot of this stuff. So I'm very excited at having this conversation today. And did you know this book was going to be one of those topics that sort of exploded? No, not at all. And it's funny because when the book came out about six weeks into lockdown of the pandemic, you know, some guy said, oh, you know, very convenient of you to quickly write this book and to release it right in the midst of a respiratory pandemic. I've been writing this book for it took about five, six years to write it. So I had no idea that anyone was going to be interested in breathing as I had become. I thought that there was an interesting story here, but as a writer, you release your book out into the world and have no idea what's going to happen to it. Well, we'd love to hear a little bit about your journey into breathing. For some context for us, you know, we've had dozens of therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists on the show, and when we talk about anxiety, overcoming fear, they'll often recommend breathing exercises as one of those ways to modulate our own behaviors. But outside of that, breathing is sort of seen as woo-woo in a lot of spaces. What was your own personal journey into discovering the importance of breathing and then getting into actually writing the book? Well, I think that was one of the reasons this book was so hard to write is because you could ask 10 people the same question and literally get 10 different answers so people on the woo-woo spectrum think that breathing can do anything. Some people even think you don't need to eat or drink any water or anything. You can just exist on the sun, which is complete bogus. And then other people on the on the very conservative medical end of the spectrum think that breathing is this autonomic function. It serves no role in our health. Only if we aren't breathing should we be concerned about our breathing. But the truth really is right in the middle 
of those two fields. And so that's what I tried to thread the entire time in this book is it doesn't matter what someone's politics are, what their religion is, what their background is. Data is data. And what works, works. And uh, that's what I spent years and years studying and trying to find out what really works, what is supported by science, and how can breathing take us to these different levels. And you had your own breathing issues that you were sorting through uh, that sort of was the genesis of this book. So walk us through a little bit of your own journey in breathing. Yeah, so years and years ago, I thought I was eating all the right foods, exercising the right amount, sleeping the right amount, all of that. I considered myself pretty healthy, but I kept coming down with chronic respiratory issues. I would come down with bronchitis. I would come down with mild pneumonia. I was wheezing when I was working out and doing martial arts or surfing or whatever. And whenever I went to a doctor, they, they said, oh, this is perfectly fine. You're just getting old. Deal with it. But something felt really off in my breathing. But I was reassured repeatedly that there was nothing wrong with me. So years and years went by, and I discovered a breathing class that I went to on the advice of, of a doctor friend. And it really opened my eyes to the potential of what breathing could do. And I felt significantly better after that. But still, as a science journalist, I'm not going to write a memoir about my my breath and my journey. That's of no interest to me. So it was really when I met Freedivers that I, I figured out that, my God, there's something so much deeper and profound with our breathing. These people are doing something that is supposed to be scientifically impossible, and they do it every single day. So where else can breathing bring us? And with that, obviously having your health guiding your initial journey in there, what have been the personal benefits in your life around what this book and its discoveries for you have brought? I try not to throw in too much of my personal story into my writing because I hate when authors do that, when they say this worked for me, so it's definitely going to work for you. Everyone breathes in a slightly different way. Everyone's going to respond to breathing in a slightly different way, just like everyone's going to be responding to, to foods and changing their diet in a different way and exercise in a different way. On a personal note, with that big caveat, I will say it completely changed my life. It, can, it changed my health. It changed my ability to coax myself into different states at different times. And this is all supported by science. It's not just my personal opinion. You can get various wearables, breathe in a different way, and watch this transformation happen inside of your body and even even in your brain and and so the idea that breathing is just some woo-woo new age thing is is counter to what we know about basic human physiology how you breathe affects every cell of your body all the time and johnny was mentioning this earlier around evolution i think many of us have this idea of evolution as us a survival of the fittest and gradually becoming better as a species. And a large part of the beginning of the book just argues how evolution is working against us in our breathing now in the crowding out in our mouths, our inability to really engage in nose breathing. So what was really fascinating for you around the evolution of breathing in your research? Yeah, what a, what a bummer it is to think that life forms don't progress, <laughs> that they can digress <laughs> and they can get sicker and sicker. And this is counter to everything 
I had learned about evolution in, when I was in school, you know, forever ago. And it's counter to most of what people understand about how evolution works. We're repeatedly told that, you know, Darwinism, survival of the fittest, uh, we're getting stronger, we're living longer, we're getting healthier, we're growing taller. All of this is complete garbage. All you need to do is to look at the rates of modern chronic diseases. And in even lifespan, with all the medical interventions, we're actually starting to die sooner now <laughs> than we were 20 years ago. This is not progress, but evolution was never about progress. It was change over time. That's what evolution means. So when people make conflate Darwinism with survival of the fittest with progress, they're, they're getting many concepts wrong. Well, certainly the details in your book and conversations that I had with folks, which w once that idea that we're not, especially in our face, we're not evolving in, in, the, in a proper manner. In fact, it's getting flatter, it's constricting, it's, uh, our mouths are getting smaller. I mean, that opened up the doors to <laughs> evolution going in the wrong way on many aspects of our human lives. But it was, it was certainly an eye-opener for me. In, in fact, the first time that I had ever had come in contact with anyone talking about breathing was was I was taking singing lessons in my 20s. And it was all about breathing from your diaphragm. And that was the first time that I had ever realized how I was breathing and there was other ways of breathing. And in fact, and that my breathing in certain ways would help this wonderful voice carry a tune. Yeah, so a lot of people don't ever think about their breathing because they don't have to. The breathing is something that happens unconsciously. And how awful would it be to think about that we need to breathe 20,000 times a day? I'm so happy that we've evolved in ways <laughs> so that we don't have to think about all this stuff. At the same time, if you're breathing in a dysfunctional way, that becomes a negative habit. And no matter what you do to improve your health, you're always going to be pushing with your back against the wall. And this is something researchers told me early on that I had a hard time believing. They said, you can eat all the right foods, you can exercise all the time, you can what do you know flotation therapy, you can take supplements. If you have a serious breathing dysfunction, you will never ever be healthy, no matter what you do. So we take the majority of our energy in through through air, not through water not through food, not through anything else, through air. And if you don't believe me, you can just hold your breath for three or four minutes and see how much energy you have. So how we take that air in, how we exhale it throughout the day, of course it's going to make a, a huge difference to singing and, and so much more. Well, the subtitle for the book is The New Science of a Lost Art. Why do you consider breathing a lost art? I consider it a lost art because if you look back in history and you study ancient Hindu texts, which is something I did for quite a while, and you study ancient Chinese texts and you study Greek texts and you study uh, texts and traditions in Native American cultures, and if you study Polynesian cultures, you get the idea. So much of what they were doing was focusing on the breath, and they realized and appreciated breathing as important to human health as, as what you ate or how much you exercise. There's a dozen books in the Chinese Tao dedicated 
to breathing. Uh, all the awful things that are going to happen if you breathe through your mouth or breathe in a dysfunctional way, and all the good things that are going to happen if you take control of your breath. So we've known this stuff for a long time, but luckily we live in an age now where we can objectively test it. It's one thing to say, oh, I did a breathing class. Yeah, I feel better. It's another thing to look at numbers and to look at numbers across wide populations of people. And if all those numbers are pointing in the same direction, then you know something. Yeah, it's interesting. In the book, all of these cultures put focus on it. And even in my case, so I was diagnosed a few years ago with high blood pressure. I am uh, just turned 40, so relatively young for someone to have high blood pressure. Both my general practitioner and all the cardiologists I, I met with all said the same thing, surprised at my age that I was dealing with this. And we looked at my diet, we looked at my weight, we looked at my exercise, and of course their response was, well, let's get you on some medicine. Never once did they discuss my breath. They didn't ask me about mouth breathing, nose breathing, there was no exam around my breathing at all, and yet here in the book there's so much science linking breathing to blood pressure, to cardiovascular health. So do you feel like modern medicine is, is missing this component? Why is this not more publicly uh, talked about and spoken about? Or why are we not even hearing about it from many doctors that we're visiting? Are you someone who has a lot of aspirations? Have you set epic goals for 2022? What is your plan to reach those goals? Do you have the right strategies and the support you need to finally reach them? If you're unwilling to make the changes that your dreams require, then you'll be stuck living 2022 with the same results as last year. It's going to take the right mindset and strategies to make your dreams a reality. If you're like us, then you know it takes two things to reach your goals, community and accountability. Community to support and encourage and hold you accountable to get you over the hurdles on the way to your goals. That's exactly why we've created the X Factor Accelerator. It's a community of like-minded, high-value people who are ready to take their lives to the next level. An opportunity to strategize, learn, and grow with the Art of Charm team. That's right. We kick off every month with an intense goal-setting strategy session. Weekly implementation sessions with opportunities to practice rapport building, supercharging your charisma through powerful communication, and building the charm to attract the right people into your life. Are you ready to win at love, work, and life in 2022? Imagine what you can accomplish with coaching and mentorship with the Art of Charm. What are you waiting for? Join us today at unlockyourxfactor.com. That's unlockyourxfactor.com. So there's doctors in my family. My father-in-law is a pulmonologist, so a specialist of, of the lungs. He's been a pulmonologist for 40 years. My brother-in-law is an ER doctor. We talk about this stuff all the time. They read every single word of this book and said, wish I would have known this a few decades ago. <laughs> it would have helped me out. So this isn't pointing fingers or blaming anyone. I want to be very clear. These people are on the front lines dealing with acute, serious problems. So if you get in a car accident don't go to a yoga workshop and you learn pranayama, like go to a doctor and get some surgery, right? And so this is what they're dealing with. They say, we basically deal with the walking dead. You have to be so bad to get treatment here. And they do an amazing job. Like Western medicine is an amazing thing, but it's extremely bad at dealing with lower grade chronic issues. And you can see that with 
hypertension, with asthma, with even diabetes. Yeah, we have things that can take care of the symptoms of these problems, but not things that can take care of the core issue. So I have high, I had, past tense, high blood pressure. Uh, my dad had high blood pressure. My mom had high blood pressure. And it, I heard the same exact thing as as you heard. And immediately I was, I was, given the, this prescription, I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. And this was years and years ago. I said, isn't there anything else I can do? They said, we're sorry, it's genetic, which is, this is not true. So there are ways around this. That, that could be another episode. Uh, I could get your blood pressure down about 20 points in about two weeks. I'm, I'm absolutely sure of that. Uh, that's what happened with me. Breathing is a component of that. Breathing can work with a lot of people, but it is not a blanket prescription. So I would never say that just breathe this way, your blood pressure is going to go down, you aren't going to have any other problems. There are too many variables, but breathing is part of that foundation of how to get yourself well. And I think that's a really important distinction. I tried to make it in the book, and I want to make it very clear here that uh, there isn't a fix for everything. Even pharmaceutical drugs aren't going to fix everything, but they're part of, of a larger conversation that you can have with, with others and an integrated approach that you can use to help improve your health. Well, certainly the first thing for, for everybody is the, the, the big three, right? So we diet, exercise, which everybody talks about, but sleep is often overlooked. And there was a lot in the, in the book about breathing and how it's, it's snoring and all these res respiratory issues are impacting our sleep and, and how that affects our, our daily lives. And I certainly know how much better I operate on a, on a full night's sleep, uh, let alone, uh, if, in my youth, when I was just barreling, barreling through life. I think it's important to acknowledge that if you aren't sleeping well, you're never going to be well. I'm lucky enough to know Matthew Walker. I don't know if you know his book, Why, Why We Sleep, an incredible yeah. book. But, and he agreed with me on this, is that you can be tracking your sleep, you can be taking your melatonin, you can be having your, your blackout shades, whatever. But if your breathing is dysfunctional, if you're snoring or having sleep apnea, your sleep is wrecked. I don't care what you do. And this is an equation that has even been left out of the larger conversation about the quality of sleep. Everyone's focused on NREM, they're focused on deep sleep, but they seem less focused on breathing quality during sleep. And as I learned firsthand in the Stanford experiment, the path, just the pathway through which you breathe air can make a significant difference to the quality of your sleep. I don't hear anybody talking about this. They're starting to, except for some dentists, some people in sleep medicine, but, but even people in, in, if you're diagnosed with sleep apnea, people give you a CPAP and they're like, cool, See you later. And, and, and that's it. But, but they're not looking at, do you suffer from chronic obstruction? Do you have chronic sinusitis? Is there a structural issue in your nose? Are you a mouth breather at night? I just haven't heard that too much of, of those issues being in the, in the larger conversation about sleep quality. Well, I think for many, that's when they will first recognize that they may even have an issue with their breathing. 
So we talked about this. We're, we're breathing unconsciously, thankfully. We're not having to focus on our breath to survive. And because of that, we'll go most of our lives not even realizing if we're a nose breather or a mouth breather, no one's really pointing it out. In my case, I realized it when my ex-girlfriend was like, you snore like crazy. And I thought, okay, well, I got to do what anyone else has to do, lose some weight. And the snoring didn't go away. And it wasn't until I started taping my mouth shut that what do you know, (laughs) breathing through my nose, the snoring went away. But so many of us realize, okay, I have a problem with snoring, but uh, it's just for my partner to deal with. I'm going to take the melatonin anyway. So I'm just going to wear the sleep tracker and make sure I get enough REM sleep. That's going to solve all of this. But let's talk about how breath really impacts our sleep and, and where this nose versus mouth breathing is impacting us. And then we can get into all the other areas of a life that it's playing an impact in as well. Because I think many in our audience have at some point recognized breathing and sleep, they're linked, and I may be having some issues here. Well, I think a lot of people only start to recognize that there is an issue once they're diagnosed with a serious issue. But as we've known for decades and decades, even mild snoring, even mild sleep apnea, even something milder than those two things called upper airway resistance syndrome can have a downstream effect on your mind, on your body, on your metabolic health, on your hypertension, I mean, on and on and on. And and again, these are things that have been studied for for decades. There's nothing controversial about it, but a lot of people uh, aren't thinking about it and they haven't been told about it. So with that uh, little summary, uh, the biggest thing you have to realize when when you're sleeping or when you're exercising or even when you're in front of your computer is that pathway through which air goes in directly affects you in so many ways. So when when you're breathing air through the nose, you're forcing it through this maze of different structures, right? If you were to cut my head in half, and I've seen my head cut in half in an, in an x-ray, you see this enormous area of sinuses here. It's it's kind of beautiful it, because it looks like a seashell, right? If you cut a seashell in half. Yeah. And animals who that live in seashells, they use their shells for, for one thing, to protect themselves, to filter out all the gunk. And that's exactly what our noses do. This is our first line of defense. And as they're filtering stuff out and conditioning air, they're also slowing it down and they're pressurizing it. So if you're breathing through your nose at a slow rate, it's almost impossible to make this sound. You can do it if you really try, but it's really, really hard. Whereas if you breathe through your mouth, there's zero resistance. I just took two liters of air right into my lungs. Zero resistance. It goes instantly in. And and this is how hard it is to choke on myself. It's very easy. So this isn't a huge like leap of logic to get to this, right? It seems so basic that slower air, filtered air, pressurized air is going to be better for your airway. It's going to allow your airway to stay more open and less vibration to happen there. Also, what happens when you're breathing through your nose is right now, if you open your mouth, your tongue is going to naturally rock back just a little bit into your throat when you open your mouth. When you close your mouth, the tongue naturally goes up to your palate, which helps open up your airway. Guess what happens when you do that at night? Your airway tends to be more open. 
So again, I want to say uh, very clearly that just breathing through your nose is not going to fix every one of every problem of snoring and sleep apnea, but it can only help. <laughs> so, so, and for some people like, like you, and I, this is one thing I've heard more from, from people than anything else. Thousands and thousands of people are saying, I have been breathing through my nose at night and I seriously have no snoring now. I don't have even mild to moderate sleep. I don't have it. I'm Why hasn't someone told me this 30 years ago? And I have no answer to that. I don't know. I don't know why. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Yeah, it's certainly scary with all of the downstream health impacts that mouth breathing has on our physiology that we're not more concentrated on what would appear a simple piece of surgical tape <laughs> to be a very impactful solution in our lives. You, you mentioned something in there that I think many in our audience, and I was even surprised to learn, uh, breathing has an impact in, and that's our metabolism and metabolic function. So can you talk a little bit about that and how breathing actually impacts our metabolism? So for every little molecule of glucose that we use, that we burn to create energy, we use about six molecules of, of oxygen. So far more oxygen is needed in this process to create ATP, to create energy. So when we don't have that oxygen readily available, our bodies, our cells will actually start running anaerobically. So without oxygen, we can still get energy this way, but it is extremely inefficient and it can be toxic after a while if we run anaerobically for too long. So again, this is not controversial. It's not theoretical. We've known this for, for more than a hundred years. So when people aren't breathing in a way that is efficient for their bodies, especially when working out, sometimes you're going to unnecessarily put too much of your body in that anaerobic zone, which is fine for a little while, but very damaging if you stay in it for too long. That's just one element. So that that's how it works on a cellular level. But 
you also want to think about breathing as as something that it's something you're doing all day long. So if you are slightly struggling to do something you do all day long for every single day, your body can stay alive, but it can never stay healthy. So it's always playing catch up throughout the day. And this is something that professional athletes, I don't know why it's taken them so long to figure this out, but they're just discovering. And I know a bunch of trainers who are saying, this is the first thing we have athletes do is to fix their breathing. And it can have massive effects to performance and recovery because of course it does. This is how you're getting most of your energy. So if you use it in an efficient way, you're going to be able to go harder for longer and you're going to be able to go faster than than your competitors. Well, what's interesting then following that through is like, okay, well, shouldn't I just be breathing more frequently because I need more oxygen? So why am I not just accelerating my breath? Why should I be slowing my breath? Why is the pace so important? Well, if someone had that argument with food that I, you know, I want more energy, so I'm just going to be eating all day long because I need more energy, I think that we would all see the holes in that argument. It's not as easy to see the holes in the argument of breathing until you hook yourself up to a bunch of different machines and you see how your body operates when you overbreathe. Mostly what happens, this is the simplified version of this, is we will exhale too much carbon dioxide. And when we do that, we cause constriction in our blood vessels. And you can do this, everyone at home right now listening. Don't do this while driving, please. Walking, if you're walking on, on soft grass or sand. If you take like 30 huge breaths, you're going to feel some dizziness in your head. You might feel some tingling in your fingers and maybe your extremities will get colder. That is not from an increase of oxygen to these areas, but but a decrease of circulation. That's what happens when you overbreathe. Not only that, but you are unnecessarily using all of this energy to to be breathing air in and out that you are not using. When you breathe in the shallow way very quickly, you're just taking air into your mouth, your throat, the upper part of your chest here into the bronchi, but that more than half that air doesn't even make it to the lungs. So you're just bringing it in to exhale it. it it's almost like cruising around in a car and just revving the motor in neutral every time you're at a stop sign. I mean, you might sound cool to to people around you if you've got one of those those big mufflers on there, but but otherwise you're you're going to be just creating all this undue wear and tear on the engine and using more fuel. And that that's what happens when you breathe too much. Well, what I would love to to unpack for our audience was you'd mentioned this earlier around evolution and and even modern life we're now losing out in longevity. So there's some interesting linking between lung capacity and longevity and our breathing health. So can you discuss the science around that? So our lungs are like our gas tank, right? And if you're making a cross-country trip, would you want to be filling up every time your gas tank got down to about a, you know half halfway down? Or would you want to use that entire tank of gas? That would be a much more efficient way. You can think of the lungs that way, where if you have smaller lungs, you're forcing yourself to breathe more. And when you're breathing more than you need to be breathing, you can have problems with your blood pressure. You can also, as I mentioned before, be using up all of this energy you could be using for for other things. And, And you're also creating a stress state in your body. You're sending your brain signals 
that you are very stressed. And, and so you don't want to be doing that. So there's a ton of research looking into lung size because if you have larger lungs, that means you're able to breathe less and get more oxygen in with each inhale, which means you're able to run so much more efficiently. And the sad thing is that the trick that God has played on us all is once we get to about 30 to 35, we start losing lung capacity. And after 50, this starts happening precipitously. It really drops off. And with those smaller lungs, you have to breathe more, which is why you see older people, it's so sad, just breathing through their mouth. I mean, what's that doing to their bodies? They need all the energy they can get. They need all the time to rest and restore that they can possibly get. And yet they're just stressing themselves out. So we've known this, that lung size correlates directly to lifespan, so much so that some researchers even looked at people who got lung transplants. And they found that patients who were transplanted with larger lungs lived way longer than those transplanted with normal size or smaller lungs. So most of us don't need lung transplants to get larger lungs. All we have to do is breathe correctly and stretch. This is what yoga is. (laughs) This is what yoga began as before it was vinyasa flow and all that stuff, which is 100 years old. Yoga was a technology of sitting in one spot and breathing very deeply and focusing on your breath and keeping these intercostals in your rib cage very flexible so that you could breathe these big, deep, enriching breaths effortlessly. Let's unpack that a little further. So the way that we're breathing is influencing our our lung capacity? Absolutely. If you're not engaging the lower lobes of your lungs, if you're just breathing into your chest, which is so common nowadays, your lungs and the elasticity in those lungs and the surrounding areas will become atrophied, right? And Dr. Belisa Vranich calls this the, the corset. And this even happens with people who, gym rats, who are just in there trying to get the most killer abs. What they're doing is they're creating this, this muscular corset that actually inhibits healthy breathing. So it's of paramount importance for everyone, whether you're a gym rat or, or whether you're an old person or a young person or an office jockey or whatever, to remain flexible in the rib cage, I think more than any other place in your body, you want to be able to breathe in effortlessly. If you're struggling to breathe, then you're just wearing your body out. And with COVID, we've heard a lot about inflammation and its impact on our body. And, and many of the symptoms are the inflammation that COVID is causing. And we think about cancer and so many other maladies, the human body. Breathing is actually linked to inflammation as well. Breathing is not only linked to inflammation, it's also linked to the onset of severe symptoms of COVID. There was a study that came out last week that said people with sleep disorder breathing are much more apt to be suffering from severe symptoms of COVID. Of course they are. People with COPD, people with lung problems, people with inflammatory issues, larger underlying issues. These are the people who are most susceptible to the most severe symptoms of COVID. So and it, it goes both ways. It's not only COVID, but, but so many other chronic issues. If you're not engaging your lungs in an efficient way, then you're stressing your body out. If you're stressing your body out, you are stimulating inflammation throughout your body. 
What is the main thing tying the vast majority of modern chronic diseases? Okay, we have heart disease, we have diabetes, we have hypertension. What is, what is the main thing? It is chronic low-grade inflammation, inflammation that just sticks around, okay? Breathing is a wonderful way, and I believe it's the most efficient way of immediately reversing that inflammation, okay? You still need to eat good food, everybody. You should still exercise, yes, but you have to be breathing correctly while you're doing those things. And Dr. Andrew Huberman down at Stanford has been studying this the last couple of years. He believes the most effective way to take care of stress and the inflammatory response that comes with stress is to take two inhales on top of one another and to let it out slowly and then return to a very slow and rhythmic breathing pattern. You can feel what happens when you do that. And you can also see what happens if you're wearing wearables or if you're tied up to a bunch of different instruments as, as, I, would in, as I was in these laboratories. Anytime that I'm stressed, have anxiety, nervous, depressed, it's, it's apparent always in breathing first. And it's how I usually catch myself that I realize that there is something wrong. And then have a few moments of focusing on 10 breaths and, and feeling so much better afterwards. Yeah, how you feel, your mood affects how you breathe and how you breathe affects your mood and how you feel. So these things work back and forth. I heard this one thing from a researcher I thought was fascinating. They said that 80% of the messages between the brain and the body are coming from the body to the brain. We, we usually think that the brain's the control center. Just the brain needs inputs to respond to. So to think that the vast majority of messages are coming from the body. So if you're sitting hunched over in front of your desk and you're breathing really fast, you're breathing through your mouth all the time, you're sending your brain signals that there's a problem there's an emergency. Your brain responds by flooding the body with hormones and adrenaline and cortisol to keep you inflamed. And people spend their whole their whole day and their whole night in this state. And a lot of people believe that this is the major underlying problem behind the vast majority, not all of them, but the vast majority of these modern chronic diseases is this low-grade stress, this low-grade inflammation. Now that we've spent the first half hour terrifying the audience. Depressing around. the hell out of everybody. <laughs> Take that. Happy holidays, everybody. There yeah. you go. Merry Christmas. See you later. Yeah. Bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> what can we start to do practically and what have you found has been some of the better ways for those who are just now becoming aware of the impact of breathing to incorporate this on their life and see that massive change? Well, I wish this were something that was very complicated and magical, but it's not. It's just completely simple and anyone can do it. You know, as I've mentioned in the book, I can tell you how to breathe in about 4.5 seconds. But if you don't know why you should breathe this way or what it's doing to your body or where this stuff comes from, it just doesn't stick. So that's what I tried to focus on in, in the book. But we'll stick with the how and we can get down into the why as, as deep as you guys want to go. But the how is, is first of all, and we've, we've covered a little bit of this, the, the very first thing that people need to do is to become aware of their breathing. And again, not very glamorous, not very fun, but you need to become aware of your breathing at night. 
You need to become aware of your breathing when you're stressed out, when you're working in front of a computer, especially when you're exercising, even when you're happy, become aware of your breathing because you're going to notice something if you're like the vast majority of people on the planet. You're going to notice how dysfunctional your breathing is. About 80% of office workers suffer from something called email apnea. What this is, is you open up your email in the morning and you're like, oh my God, I have all these stupid emails I got to get back. And you stop breathing because that's a fear response, right? That, that we have way back in our evolution. And then you breathe way too much. <sighs> and then you stop breathing again. And all you have to do to see this is wear a pulse oximeter or another wearable. And you can watch what happens to your breathing when you sit down and do some stressful office work. So by becoming aware of your breathing, you can notice this. And once you become aware of it, you can fix it with some very very simple tweaks. But again, it's not very fun or, or interesting. Awareness seems so simple, but, but that is the most powerful tool at night and in the day. Again, with, with the email thing that you had brought up, I mean, it leads me to, to think about how many folks have addictive behavior to technology doom scrolling, just looking for the next adrenaline buzz that they, that they can get from their uh, technology. And certainly that's got to play a role. I mean, the, the idea of, of stopping that breath and anticipating the next, the next refresh and, and everything else that is going on has to be playing a role here and, and, and actively shortening our breath as we're getting older. Yeah, so when I mentioned in the book right at the beginning that humans are the worst breathers in the animal kingdom, actually the modern humans are the worst breathers that have, that have of any life form ever on the planet. People are like, that, how do you know that? That's impossible. All you have to do is look around. And in my case, you look in the mirror, you, you could see. Uh, so there's the anatomical change, right? And if you don't believe that, that our faces have changed in the past 200 years, look at any pre-industrial skull. They all have perfectly straight teeth. With perfectly straight teeth, you have a wide jaw and a wide face. With a wide jaw and a wide face, you have a larger sinus cavity and a larger airway. Simple geometry. This seems impossible until you actually do the research. And I did the research and I looked at hundreds of these skulls and they're all smiling back at you with perfectly straight teeth. And you say, my God, what has happened to us? Anyway, I realize this is the positive part of the program. So we'll leave that negativity <laughs> behind. But if, if so you have the, the anatomical issue, you have the environmental issue. There's, there's pollution, there's allergens, there's dust, there's mold in the air. It plugs people up. They can breathe. Uh, they have problems breathing, Right. And then there's other stuff, which is modern day problems, with, which is posture. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in an airport or on public transportation or actually anywhere at a cafe. You watch people looking at their phones, even mm -hmm. if they wanted to breathe a healthy, enriching, actually, I'll, I'll backtrack. Even if they wanted to breathe a normal breath, they could not do it because of the way in which they're holding their bodies and their necks. So also when you hold your body this way, you put all of this strain on the back of your neck, which can cause lower back pain, which is something 80% of the population always. So you start putting the, the, the pieces together and you're like, it's not one thing. It's a perfect storm of all of these things that have come together that have made us the worst breathers. So once you acknowledge the core issue, you can say, okay, cool. 
how do we fix it? So and I realize that's what this portion of, of the podcast is about. Awareness is the first thing. Posture is the second thing. By posture, I'm talking about oral posture as well. Shut your mouth. You have to be a nasal breather. If you're a mouth breather, you're never, ever going to be healthy. Some people need surgery. A lot of people don't. They just need to train themselves to breathe through their noses. You will never be healthy unless you're an obligate nasal breather. One of the things I think that would help our audience understand the importance of this and the power of our breathing and has has on us would be some of the examples in the book of the the monks who are breathing and what they were able to do and, and perhaps we can we could discuss Wim Hof and seems to be all the rage sitting in the the ice tubs for the the last year so perhaps we can visit some of that and show the benefits of focused breathing. Sure. So we got awareness. We got oral posture. Now let's talk about pace and volume of air. And all you have to do as for your guidance here is look at a dog breathing when it's sleeping or go into nature and look at any animal breathing at any time. Look at a cheetah running at 60 miles per hour and look at how it's breathing through its nose, deep into the belly, very calmly. This is at, at peak effort. This is how all these other animals breathe. We should be breathing that same way. So whenever you see a monk meditating, it's no coincidence that they do not have their mouths open and are going, <sighs> right? I, I've never seen a monk do that. Uh, their mouths are closed. Their breathing is imperceptible. You could hardly even tell they're breathing at all. This is healthy breathing. A lot of people tend to exaggerate things. They say, oh, I'm going to take this very slow, deep breath, and I'm just going to kick my breast butt and watch me just take that breath. That's not how your normal breathing should be. It should feel effortless and very light and fluid. So that's the other part of this is breathe slow, breathe deep, and breathe very lightly. You can breathe at a pace of about five seconds in, five seconds out. You can extend that. If you're taller, you should breathe even slower. You have a larger diaphragm or lung volume, but you can start with that and then you can sort of tailor it to whatever you want to do for your respiratory rate. But as long as it's slow and rhythmic and just breathing this way, you will notice your body will become relaxed, more blood flow to the brain different parts of your brain come online, your blood pressure will likely decrease. I've seen mine when I had higher blood pressure go down about 15 to 20 points after a couple of minutes. Doctors never told me that that was possible. So you can try this for yourself. Obviously, we're talking about something that many of us have created a, a habit around, you know, 30, 40, 50 plus years, some in our audience have been breathing through their mouth. So what is that minimum effective dose and when does it start to become a habit to actually become a nose breather again? The minimum effective dose, this is what I love about breathing, takes takes place in about 5.3 seconds. So just by switching your breathing in a matter of seconds, if you have a wearable that's looking at your heart rate, if you have a blood pressure cuff, you can put on, check your blood pressure before and after maybe about a minute or two of healthy breathing. And you can watch something happen in, in your body. So obviously, you can get that acute shift in your body, but that's not going to do much good And if you're breathing in a dysfunctional way the rest of the time. And this is where people get this wrong. They say, 
oh, I'm just, I do my five minutes of healthy breathing and then I just go on with, with my day. It has to become a habit. And that doesn't mean you, you have to constantly cruise around and gauge your breathing. At the beginning you do because you have to create that habit, which can take weeks for some people, other people it can take months. But once you create it as a habit, you don't need to think about it. So I've found that uh, there are different apps. There's like a zillion of these things now. Can be really helpful to remind you to breathe at the slow and light pace. Uh, put your phone on your desk when you begin working. And some of these apps have a little sound that goes, that just reminds you to breathe at this slow and easy pace. I love that. I think it's important to bring it to a conscious level, but also it's great to hear that it doesn't have to be 365, 24-7 consciously on our mind with everything else going on around us. No, and it's what's very interesting, and there's a lot of research happening in this area, which is really exciting, is they're finding how you breathe in the daytime affects how you breathe at night. So what a lot of clinicians are doing, including one doctor at, at Harvard has been doing for a long time is training people with sleep disorder breathing, with snoring, sleep apnea, to slow down their breathing, to breathe less, to breathe deeply. And you can breathe deeply and breathe less. Those things aren't counter to one another. And by doing this, your body gets acclimated that this is healthy breathing. And at night, they've seen significant reductions in both snoring and sleep apnea, not for everybody, but for a lot of people. And, and so that, that's another reason to create this as, as a habit, not a task that you want to just mark off at the beginning of the day and say, I'm going to get on with my day now. Well, you breathe all the time. So you have an opportunity to improve your breathing all the time. Absolutely. And I think now understanding all of the positive impacts that it has on us, let's talk a little bit about why this is happening, why we're feeling so different when we breathe through our mouth versus our nose. I know there's some nervous system changes that are going on when we're breathing through mouth versus nose. If you could walk us through that. Every time you inhale, you, you very slightly inhibit your vagal response. And the, the vagus nerve is the nerve that is controlling your stress. And it responds to stress and it controls what goes where, what kind of energy and blood flow goes to what organ at what time. So an inhalation is associated with a sympathetic response. And that sympathetic response is an active. It's the fight or flight response. Which is why if you place your hand over your heart and you take a big breath in, you're going to feel your heart rate speed up. And as you breathe out very slowly, you feel it slow down. This is not some placebo effect. This is how our bodies operate. So once you understand this, you can start to get your head around, well, if I want to relax myself, if I extend my exhales, I'm going to slow my heart rate down more. I'm going to give my body signals that it's in a safe place and that it can relax. So this is why there are so many breathing techniques, I mean, dozens and dozens, that have you exhale longer than you're inhaling. Box breathing, Sudarshan Kriya. I mean, what is box breathing? Inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four. What are you doing for three quarters of the time? You're holding your breath or you're exhaling. What's that going to do to your body? It's going to calm yourself down. Four, seven, eight breathing. Inhale for four, 
hold for seven, exhale for eight. Again, three quarters of the time, you're holding your breath or exhaling. There's another breathing pattern that has you breathe into about, kind of about three or four and exhale to eight. It's the same thing. So you can pick whichever of these works well for you, but they're all variations on the same thing. Extending the exhales relaxes your body. And you can try that now as you're listening to the rest of this show. You can inhale to a count of four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four, and breathe that over and over and over again and feel how you respond to it. Everything that you unpacked, not only culturally, historically, but then also the science, what did you find most surprising and or counterintuitive in writing this book? I think the most counterintuitive thing was the thing I learned about carbon dioxide. You would expect that this must be modern, some new modern discovery, but it was actually discovered like 120 years ago when I had never heard of it. It's that carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, there's too much of it, okay? It's bad news. It's wreaking havoc around the planet. We know that. But carbon dioxide in your body is essential, and you need the proper balance of carbon dioxide for oxygen to do what it's supposed to do. So I had always heard in yoga classes that, you know, exhale, big exhale, get all that toxic carbon dioxide out of your body. You still hear that. That's Mm -hmm. so wrong because having more CO2 will relax yourself more. It will open up those blood vessels. So right now, if you breathe very slowly, and then you start holding your breath and you breathe very slowly, you'll probably feel some heat build up in the back of your neck or your fingers. That is because carbon dioxide is building in your body and opening up your blood vessels and delivering more oxygen. So that was the thing that really confused me. And it took me a few months of talking to to experts to get my head around it that, oh, this is why Breathing less gives you more oxygen because there's more carbon dioxide. If that's not confusing enough, then I don't know what to tell you. But but that's how it all works out. That's the science. Well, I feel like almost everything in life is balance. And this is just yet another classic example of homeostasis coming into play in our health. And I thought another interesting aspect was water retention with nose breathing versus mouth breathing. Many of us feel even going on a short walk, we need to carry a bottle of water with us. We need to be hydrated. We need to drink liters and liters of water. And actually, a lot of that may be due to simply breathing through our mouth, correct? We lose about 42% more moisture breathing through our mouths than we do inhaling and exhaling through our noses, which is going to make an enormous difference. This is something I was a mouth breather at night. Every every night I had ever known, which is why I always went to bed with a mug of water <laughs> and thought this was normal. And it turns out that about 60% of the population breathes with an open mouth at, at night. And I thought it was normal to be dehydrated at night until you learn to shut your mouth. And then you wake up in the morning and you're like, what on earth have I been doing for so long? So then, you know, you can... Put that up 10x when you're exercising and and you're breathing 40 times a minute. What's going to happen to your body? 
you're going to get so extremely dehydrated if you're mouth breathing. And I can count on one hand how many hundreds of joggers I've seen around my neighborhood breathing through their noses. Nobody does it. And now people are wearing these like belts with these six little water bottles and they're just like hitting the water every you don't need that. The The human body is designed to exercise for hours at a time without taking water or without eating protein bars, you know? And so it depends on, on how you use it. You want your breathing to be kind of like a controlled closed system. That's what the nose does. It's very carefully controlling the amount of air and it's humidifying air as it comes in and it's recapturing that humidity as it comes out inside of that closed system. Well, one of the things that I've really enjoyed even in this interview and listening to you on other shows is your tonality and your cadence and and your delivery. And I, I can't help but think much of that is due to the modulation and breath work that you've immersed yourself in. A lot of what we talk about on the show is being a more effective communicator that involves slowing down, enunciating, and allowing your words to actually resonate. Many of us being mouth breathers are in this constant state of arousal, and we're rushing our thoughts, and we're rushing our words, and we're falling into traps with our tonality and pacing. I wish I could attribute that to, to breathing, but I am still on my own breathing journey. People think that since I wrote this book, I'm now just the most badass breather on the planet. I am not. <laughs> I've still got a long way to go. I was breathing in such a dysfunctional way for so long. Obviously, I've improved that, but I want to improve it even more. I've, I mean, it has transformed so much of my, my life and my health. I know that seems quaint. And again, I try to keep this out of the book because I don't want to use myself as an example. But Go and see for yourself, right? This stuff is free. It's available for everybody. Uh, even though someone's going to try to sell you on some new device for breathing, we have the best device in the world, and that's that's our bodies, and that's that's our lungs, and that's our mind. So you can use that as much as you can and and try to improve your breathing that way, as so many generations of people have done before. Well, that said, I know that we, we've touched on this with face flattening and many of us having issues around just our ability to nose breathe outside of what I discussed, taping my mouth at night, what other interventions, hopefully low-grade technology, are there available to us outside of surgery to improve our nose breathing? It depends on what you want to be doing. If you want to be nose breathing at night, that's going to be a different protocol than clearing your nose in the daytime. So again, everyone has a slightly different breathing habit. And for that reason, everyone has a, most people have a slightly different breathing dysfunction. So it's really hard to give these blanket prescriptions. I would say for people who are chronically congested in the day, some of that could be polyps in the nose. Some of that could be structural issues, severely deviated septum. These are things that surgery and other procedures can help. Uh, it can be transformative for some people. I've noticed that uh, a lot of people do not need that. What I would strongly suggest is see what you can naturally do before you do that. I think neti pots are a good idea for people with chronic congestion. I always use them, after, especially after a, a plane ride. I also think this little trick of, of this nasal clearing, this congestion clearing exercise, uh, Patrick McEwen is, has a video of this. It's like been viewed a million times where it's, I won't 
get put you through the whole thing, but it's it's just about holding your breath, holding your nose back and forth. It's called a nose clearing exercise. You can look that up online. That's effective. For sleep, it's a completely different protocol. I'll give you the highlights. One is, yes, you need to be breathing through your nose at night, which means you can't be congested. Sometimes people just sleeping on their backs, if they can train themselves to sleep on their sides, this can make an enormous difference. What they used to do in the army is have, they would have soldiers tape like a sock or a ping pong ball to the back of a t-shirt so that whenever you roll down uh, over unconsciously, you would immediately go back to your side. This can be really effective. So can raising the head of the bed about six inches can be very effective as well. Sleep tape, I've, I've noticed, I don't care what kind of tape you use, except as long as it's not like duct tape and it has a nice, easy adhesive. You can try that out. So many people are using that, including a lot of clinicians, a lot of people in sleep medicine are now prescribing this because it works. So those those things, again, everything I mentioned is free. And uh, again, you, you will only have benefits from these things. They, they're, there are no negative side effects to breathing a little bit better, you know, only pluses. Well, thank you so much for stopping by. We love asking every one of our guests what their X factor is. What is that personality trait skill set about you that makes you extraordinary? I think being completely apprehensive all the time about any information I'm getting. I think that's that's the role of a of a journalist, right? Is to get a set of answers, but to keep asking more questions. And uh, I hope to be doing that again soon. I, I love my job. I love waking up to be curious every day. And it's and when other people get benefit from that, it, to, to me, it's just like the the highest compliment. Well, I know many in our audience are skeptics, are not woo-woo, and my first interaction with those who are doing breath work here in LA was those who are woo-woo, so it took a lot of science to sway me, and I really appreciate you laying out all the science of this lost art and sharing those tips and strategies with our audience today. Thanks for stopping by, James. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Johnny, as a recovering mouth breather, it was really something else to read just how bad that is for my physical health. Absolutely. And this book certainly had made the rounds, and I've been hearing bits and pieces from it for a very long time on a lot of other podcasts. It was great to finally have James here so he could fill us in on all of this breathing techniques. And I was surprised to hear of a lot of the evolutionary traits behind the breathing idea. I know it's one of the go-to recommendations for those in our audience or those X-Factor members who are struggling with anxiety. When we're conscious of our breath, it calms our nervous system response and allows us to move through those moments that are anxious. And I'm so glad that James dropped by to share that science with us. And we got a huge shout out this week, right, Johnny? We certainly do. I want to shout out the special ops members who had come through last week. We love that so many military personnel recognize the power and concepts such as emotional bids and conflict resolution to grow their network, become better leaders, and work towards their objectives. Company culture is incredibly important, and when you create an environment where employees feel good, they perform at their best. It goes well beyond the office, as we've talked on this show many times. It's the atmosphere that you create for your team to engage and execute. 
Imagine what your office output would be if everyone leveled up their communication skills, felt empowered, and connected to their teammates. That's right. A huge shout out to Ian and Brian for helping to put that together. We can't wait for the next group to join us. Do you lead a team that's ready to level up their communication, supercharge their charisma, and build rock-solid relationships to grow your business? Join us today at UnlockYourXFactor.com and receive military-grade training for your team. That's UnlockYourXFactor.com to apply today. Could you do us and the entire Art of Charm team a huge favor? Could you head on over to iTunes and rate and review this podcast? It helps others find the show and gets us great guests. Before we head out, a huge thank you to the Art of Charm team, produced by Michael Harold and Eric Montgomery. Go out there and have an epic week.